Put your hands together, Sub-30, for what God is, is doing in here. You guys can go ahead and, and take your seats. Man, we're so, so glad that you're here. We just want to roll right over into the message. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. We want to thank you so much for, for being with us tonight. Um, in addition to that, church, can we put our hands together for that incredible worship that just took place in here tonight? Jacob, you're the man. You know that. You're the man. You really, you really are. It's, it's incredible. Um, Sub-30, how you guys doing? You guys doing good? That doesn't sound like a bunch of people that believe that Jesus is on the throne. Sub-30, you guys doing good? That's what I'm talking about. Man, this is, this, is our, this is our last service in the arena. Next week, we are moving over to Midtown. If you haven't been there yet, man, we want to invite you guys. You can meet us there this Sunday, actually, for our, our grand opening, man. And we're going to be kicking off a new series called Alpha. And this is what I want you guys to do. If you have any friends, any people in your life that are just wrestling with what their next steps could be, wrestling with the reality of who, of who God is, this is the series that you want to bring them to. This is a series that you want to invite all your friends that are away from God, that are wondering if they're ever going to step inside the doors of a church. This is the series where we're going to attack some of those things. And I can't think of any better way than to set off that series than to have our very own Pastor Clayton Baird in the building next week to kick off the series. Pastor Clay, man, it's so good to see you in the building, man. Who loves Pastor Clay in here tonight? Y'all see him up here with his hair to the side looking extra European, looking, looking super smooth and suave, man. I saw him and he, he, had an, he had an accent. I said, man, you ain't been going that long, man. Cut that out. Cut that out, man. Stop that. Church, I'm so, so excited to be with you guys tonight, man. I just want to jump right into the message because I really feel that um, ordinarily, whenever I get an opportunity to stand before you guys, man, it's something that I, I truly take um, very seriously. It's something that I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly honored to do. And, and typically when I'm in a process of, 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 of praying and thinking about what it is that God wants me to share with you, I, ha I have two filters that I, that I run things through. And the first one is, God, what is it that you want me to say? I'm, I'm, I'm always positioning myself where I want to make sure that I'm hearing what God wants me to say. But then the second part of that question is, God, who am I saying it to? And essentially what that second question is, is I begin to really pray about every individual that's going to be in here tonight. And, and what I believe is, I believe that God had given me a word to say. I got it about a week or so ago, and I began to process over it. But then when I began to really pray about who am I saying it to, I felt like there just kept, things just kept coming up, different, different pains, different burdens, different circumstances. And so I was very unsettled all the way up until I got on stage tonight where I was just thinking about the, the, the burdens that's represented in this room. And so tonight it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit raw. It's not going to be as, as long of a message. It's not even that complicated. But I really do feel like this is a word that's for somebody because God didn't allow me to, to have this in my typical process. This is something that has been tailor-made from the throne of grace for somebody in here tonight. And I firmly believe that at the end of tonight, someone's going to walk out of here completely free in Jesus' name. Church, can y'all believe God for me with that? If you, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to, to, to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going we're gonna to start there, and then we're going to jump over to, to the gospel of Matthew chapter 2. Um, but we're going to start at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 12 and, and 13. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and what he says to us in, in verse 12, he says, If you think you are standing strong, 
be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Paul is, is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's, he, he starts at verse 12 saying that if everything is going good in your life and you feel like you're standing strong, don't get overly confident is what he's essentially saying. He says, don't, don't get too full of yourself because obstacles will come. But when they come, they won't be any more extreme than what other people experience but then he gives us this advice. He says, with every temptation, and you can substitute that word temptation with, with every obstacle, with, with every struggle, with every burden, with everything that you face, that God doesn't give you more than you can bear. And with all of it, he gives you a way out. Somebody say a way out. We're going to jump now over to, to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read this to you in the, the voice translation. And, and it says, after the wise men left... A messenger of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The messenger of the Lord says to Joseph, get up, take the child and his mother and head to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you it is safe to leave. For Herod understands Jesus threatens him and all that he stands for. He is planning to search for the child and kill him. But you will be safe in Egypt. So Joseph got up in the middle of the night. He bundled up Mary and Jesus and they left for Egypt. Joseph got up in the middle of the night. He bundled up Mary and Jesus, and he left for Egypt. Tonight, I want to talk to you about this idea of when we do face obstacles and what God's strategy is for us to experience freedom. And if you're taking notes, I've entitled this message, Get Out. Get Out. I saw that movie last night. It was awesome, but let me pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for... Um, you're incredible people, Father. I thank you for those of us who are joining online, God, and I pray that, that this word, God, meets us exactly where you are, where we are, Father. I pray for open eyes that we can see you, God, in areas where maybe we've, we've lost sight of you, God. I pray for open ears that we can hear you, even in the midst of all the, the distractions and noise, God, and I pray for open hearts that we can see, receive what it is that you want to speak to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just for the sake of me trying to get a sense of who I'm talking to in here tonight. How many, how many pet lovers are, are in the building tonight? Do I have any pet lovers? Okay, that's, that's a very strong percentage. Let me, let me break it down. How many, how many cat lovers are in the house? There will be place at the altar for you later on tonight. There will be. There will be. What about, what about my dog lovers? Any dog lovers in the house? Man. Now, that's interesting because when I asked the pet lovers, people didn't raise their hand. But when I said dog lovers, even more people raised their hand, which means that dogs are like family, right? They're like family. We don't look at them as pets. They're like part of the family. You see, um, I was raised around dogs, and, and I have to be honest with you, I don't have the exact same sentiments that many of you do. My, my experiences have been a little bit different. Even though I was raised with, with, with dogs, um, I'm a little bit jaded when it comes to them. I, I really am. And it's something that's kind of evolved more recently. Um, dogs and me just don't get along. I'm, I'm the guy that when I'm out walking in the neighborhood with my wife and someone comes up to me with their dog and they're trying to, like, edge you to, to pet them, I'm like, man, just, just leave me alone. I'm, I'm that guy. Like, and, and, and there's always these neighbors like, hey, man, he's friendly and, and he, he doesn't bite. I'm like, but I do. Get him away from me. I, I don't want to touch your dog. I don't want to pet your dog. Just leave me alone. I don't like, I don't like the slobber. I don't like any of it. I just, just get it away from me. And I realized that I'm a little bit jaded, one, because Keith Jr. had a dog and it tore up my leather couch 
But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story. But then I, I remember this one experience that I had that, that, is, that has scarred me deeply. You see, my, my aunt and uncle, they had, they had this dog. And, and when they had this dog, they, they, they would bring us around and, and allow us to interact with the dog. But once again, I didn't have much love for dogs, so I wanted to stay the proper distance away from it. Well, they went on vacation um, one week, and they said, hey, man, we want to know if you would be willing to, to dog sit for us. All we need you to do is come over, feed the dog, take him outside, and, and bring him back in, man. It's super simple. You do that a couple times, man, they had a whole process. And I'm like, absolutely not. I can't stand the dog. The dog is demonic. That's what I, I really felt. I felt like it was a dog that was demon-possessed. And so I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. So my, my kids, Keith and, and, and De Niro, they convinced me because they got along with the dog. They liked the dog. They said, man, that, Dad, we'll come with you. It's going to be awesome. You don't even got to come in. I'm like, okay, I'm only doing this because you guys agree that you're going to be a part of this journey with me because I don't like this dog. I hate him. I'm a Christian, but I hate him. It's okay to hate dogs. I saw somewhere in the Bible. I said, I hate him. <laughs> and so... We go over to the house. I, I, I go into the house, and as I go into the laundry room where the dog is, and he's inside of his crate, it's a, it's a huge laundry room, and when I open the door up, he looks at me. He looks at me, I look at him. He looks at me, I look at him. He looks at me, I look at him, and he begins to growl a little bit. But what my aunt had told me, she said, the way that you kind of get him to calm down is that you show him his food, and you pick up the leash, and then that kind of like regulates his system somehow and lets him know like, okay, it's time for me to eat, use the bathroom, everything is good. So I, I picked up the leashes I was instructed to do. I follow all the instructions that were given to me. The dog calmed down. And so I'm looking at my kids, and they're with me like, man, I told you it's going to be okay. So as I start walking closer to the dog, and I get closer to the, 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 the little bin there, I look back, and I see that my daughter has, has conveniently positioned herself a little bit further back. She's actually, like, right back by the door. And I said, I thought you were going to be up here with me. She's like, Dad, you're going to be okay. She's, like, giving me instructions. Like, Dad, all you got to do is open it up. You ever have people that feel like they got a lot to say, but they're not actually doing it? That, that, that was her. That was her. So she was telling me what I needed to do. Now, my son, my young strapping son who was standing right next to me at the time, as I got closer to the, the fence to open it up, he had even backed up a little bit. So now these, these kids that, that are supposed to be, they're supposed to have my back, they somehow have backed up a little bit. And so I'm like, okay, but the dog seems to be calm. I open up the, the, I open up the fence, and the dog sticks his head out, and I, I'm showing him the leash, and he, he walks out a little bit, and he looks around. And I'm like, okay, so everything is good. Everything's good up to this point. We start walking out. I'm standing behind the dog. My daughter is on the other side of the door. My son is standing next to me. Everything is going great. We're walking out. We're walking out. Everything is going good. And when, just when the dog gets to the threshold of the door, because at that point, I'm thinking, once he gets on the other side of the door, it's all good. He's going to get back into his normal rhythm. But he gets to the threshold, and he just stops. And when he stops, he kind of, like, drops down into this stance, and he begins to growl. Urgh. It's like, like DMX, just, he, he growls, right? I'm standing back here. The dog growls. My daughter's facing the dog. She beelines into the bathroom. She makes a beeline to the bathroom, slams the door, which I actually think triggers him, this little inner Cujo that's inside of him. So he turns around, and he looks at me, and he begins to growl. So at this moment, we're probably about eight feet apart. I'm standing here, he's over there, and he begins to growl, and he gets into his position. I look over at my son, Keith. At this point, he has jumped on top of the washing machine. I mean, like a full vertical leap, jumped on top of the washing machine, and I look over at him, and I'm like, are you kidding me? At this exact same moment, the dog starts charging. This is when you have these moments where your fight or flight kicks in. It's like when everything slows down, and you have a split second to make a decision. 
and this dog is coming after me. I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. Things are slowing down, and I, I, I don't have many options. So in, in a matter of moments, I look over, and I happen to see this little broomstick. I grab this broomstick, and as the dog lunges for me, I stick it out in front of him and knock him back. So now it is on. He is foaming at the mouth. He is coming after me, and I just keep pushing him back. I keep pushing him back, and he just keeps coming, just keeps coming. I keep pushing him back. I'm looking at Keith like, man, help me. Then he's just looking at me. He don't know what to do. My daughter's on the other side, in the, inside, of the, um, inside of the bathroom, saying, Dad, you just got to get him to calm down. I'm like, no kidding. Shut your mouth. Don't say nothing to me. <laughs> True story. Shut your mouth. So I tell her, don't say anything to me. You just got to get him to calm down. No kidding. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm pushing him away. I'm pushing him away. I'm pushing him away. And I'm like, I, I need to figure out a way to get out of here. So I, I, I look around, and I'm still pushing him back. He runs up. I push him back. He runs up. I push him back. I look over, and I realize that the only way I can do this is if I could somehow convince him to charge after me, and then I could somehow move out the way, and then I can run out. That's my only strategy. So he's coming after me one last time, and I'm telling you, man, I, I, I loaded up like this. I was Sammy Sosa. Without the steroids. And I, and, I, and I said, boom, hit him. He slides all the way out into the hallway, and then he charges at me, and I'm ready for him. I'm ready for him. I open up the gate. He comes sliding at me. I jump over him. He slams into the gate. I try to close the gate. He starts yapping at me. I run out, close the door behind me. I'm not even sure if Keith made it out or not. I don't even care at this point. <laughs> don't even care at this point. The dog is, is banging against the door. My kids are looking at me. I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking to myself, all I, all I knew I needed to do is I needed to get out of there. Now, I, I know that I have superior intellect. I know that I have superior strength. But I knew that my strategy of survival was getting out of there because this little chihuahua was ferocious. <laughs> Listen, Sub 30, don't y'all judge me. Them dogs are mean. They're vicious. They're demonic. And I should have known better because the dog's name was Dallas, like as in the Dallas Cowboys, which I despise. So I should have known then that the dog wasn't going to be good. But, but nonetheless, I had, to, I had to get out of there. That's all I knew. So yes, I knew I was stronger. Yes, I knew I could have fought through it. But all I knew was I needed to get out of there. And the truth of the matter is, I believe that in a lot of cases, we find ourselves in situations where the truth is, we could probably use our strength. We could probably use our wit. We could probably use our own abilities to somehow show our dominance in the situation. But I believe what, what, what the Bible is telling us is that there's those instances where God is saying, I need you to use some restraint, and your next step is just to get out. I need you, I need you to move out of the way. And what I believe we look at when we look at the life of Joseph, I think he, he's a perfect example of someone that had navigated through some tough situations, but God has always given him an exit strategy. You see, from the very beginning, when we look at the, the life of Joseph, what we see is a man that he got hooked up with this, with this cute young lady. Her name is Mary, right? He learns about this, this girl, Mary, in his town. They arranged the, they re, they arrange the wedding, and, and everything is going good. Joseph is chilling. He, he likes her. He's posting about her on social media. Man, it's going to be great. They're engaged. Everything is good. They got the date set. They're moving forward. But interestingly enough, he notices that, that, that Mary starts picking up a little bit of weight. It's okay. No big deal, man. You know, it's just a little pre-wedding jitters, probably just little snacks at the night, just trying to help her out a little bit. It's no, it's no big deal. But then he notices that the weight is in one concentrated area, just one spot, like right around in the stomach area. And he's like, okay, man, this is, this is a little bit weird. Mary, we need to have a conversation because from what I understand, like your first name is Virgin. They call you the Virgin Mary. Like that's your first name, Virgin. But it, but it looks like you got a little something in the oven. Can you explain it to me? And I can imagine that conversation as she's, as she's talking to Joseph. Like, okay, look, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. Um, so this angel came to me, right? And, and he told me that I am carrying the son of God. Can you believe that? Joseph said, man, come on, man. Are you kidding me? 
I'm carrying the son of God, and what I'm going to give birth to is going to literally bring salvation to everyone that believes in him. Isn't that awesome? He's like, man, I'm not even trying to hear it. I'm out. I'm out. I'm getting out of here. So Joseph makes a decision like, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to put you on blast, but there's no way I'm going to stick around in this situation. So what the Bible says is that the angel appeared to him and said, listen, I know that. <laughs> I know that it sounds weird. I know this sounds like an episode of Maury Povich. I promise you, I promise you, it's, it's all going to work itself out. She truly is indeed pregnant with the, by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to salvation. What I need you to do is I need you to protect her and protect the child and raise them. This is what I need you to do. So Joseph is probably saying to himself, okay, I got confirmation. It's weird. It's never been seen before. But my, my, my fiancé is carrying the Son of God. That's not the worst thing in the world. The child support checks are going to be off the charts. It's going to be good. Life is going to be good. And he's told that the child's name is going to be Jesus, which literally means God saves. So I can imagine Joseph processing this and saying, like, man, God saves. God's going to save me from having to work hard. He's going to save me from stress. He's going to save me from disappointment because, obviously, we have this unique blended family. So things from this point forward are going to be perfect. Little did he know that everybody knew that she was pregnant, and they knew that he wasn't the father. So there was a lot of ridicule and, and, and a lot of drama that was associated with it. Joseph is thinking to himself, like, man, I, I thought that I was walking into this, this blessed situation, but things don't seem to be getting any better. Next, what we find is that while he has to go back and register for tax purposes, that his, his, his wife-to-be goes into labor. And when she goes into labor, they're given so little respect that people who are already in rooms refuse to give up their rooms, and now she has to give birth outside in the manger. She gives birth outside, and Joseph is like, man, this is not looking the way that I thought it was going to look. But then things take an upswing, and when things take an upswing, it's because, it, it's because these shepherds come in, and they begin to worship this, this baby. Then, then the angels show up, and they begin to worship this baby. So he's thinking to himself, okay, Things are starting to, to turn out in our favor now. We got all these people around. A life is really good. And then these wise men show up, and they begin to present gifts that are only given to a king. They present these gifts to him, and they say, we just want to worship him. So now Joseph in his day-to-day -day life is looking at all these people that are around him, all this energy, all this stuff that's going on. And he's thinking to himself, like, man, life is perfect right now. I got my own cheering section over here with the angels. I got the shepherds out here, man. I got, I, got, I got the wise men bringing gifts. Everything is great. But what the Bible says is they were all gone. After all the people were there worshiping and, 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 and bringing gifts, there was this moment when they were all gone, when the shepherds had left, when the angels had left, when, when, when the crowd had left. And he was once again dealing with the reality of, I'm still outside. I don't have the support that I need. My cheering section is gone. What do you do when the standing ovation dwindles down to not even a single hand clap? What do you do when, when, when you're thinking that your life is going to turn out one way and you have all the support and all the people that have your back and then all of a sudden you feel like you're all alone? The Bible says that, that Joseph was in this moment where everything was all alone. It reminds me of this, this one athlete. And, and he was in high school, and he was just breaking all types of records. He was killing the game. He was being already projected to go into the NFL while he was yet in high school. He makes it into his senior year, man, and he's doing really well until he has a, a, a horrible break in his ankle. Damaging. Damaged nerves. And, and, and now all the scouts all the attention, all the cheerleaders, all the talk about around the town, all the headlines slowly began to dwindle away.
his identity was so wrapped into what he was going to do, he lost sight of who he was when he could no longer function the way that he thought he was going to. And he dwindled down into despair. He, d- he dwindled down into depression. Well, what was interesting is that there was this one coach that still never stopped believing in him. He shows up in his life and he begins to speak to him about who he is. He begins to rebuild his spirit first. Then he rebuilds his mind and then eventually he rebuilds his body and helps him to know that you can still move forward. This brokenness does not limit what your next steps are going to be. This man remembered who he was, and he took that strength and and went on to go to college. He went on to go into the NFL, where he went on to five Pro Bowls, was the seasoned Russian leader. And and it was all because it took a person that came in those moments of silence to let him know that you are not forgotten. I think that God has this unique ability of taking us on highs and lows, like a roller coaster, so to speak. But we're in those moments when we're in that valley of the shadow of death. God has this unique ability of being able to show up and speak in the midst of all silence. I've noticed that God uses silence as the symphony of salvation. You know, it's it's fascinating how back when I was in high school, whenever we were gonna like freestyle in the lunchroom, we'll beat on a table. Okay, okay, y'all with me, y'all with me? And everybody was on beat, amen. Anyway, anyway. We would, we, would, we would make beats, but if somebody really felt that they had something good to say, they would say, stop the beat. I don't want what I'm about to say to be drowned out by all the noise. I need there to be silence because I'm about to say something pretty profound. And what I've learned about looking at the way that God functions, he has this unique ability of, of silencing all of the distractions, silencing all the extra voices before he comes in and drops the verse that can absolutely change your life. See, God has this unique ability of coming into the midst of our our silence and brokenness and elevating us and letting us know that there's still potential in us. You see, when people are in isolation, it creates the atmosphere for God to come in and to change the whole game. You see, I think about Moses when he was in isolation and God showed up and let him know that he had purpose and destiny. I think about Abraham when he was in isolation, how God showed up and spoke purpose over his life. I think about the nation of Israel who underwent 400 years of silence and then Jesus showed up. I think that the precedence that God has established is that you may be in a moment of silence, but after silence comes Jesus. And I don't know what season of silence you are in, but I assure you, if you continue to stay the course, that Jesus is about to show up. And he's going to use that silence as the backdrop for him to drop a verse that could potentially change your life. God uses silence as the instrumental to change your life. You see, the Bible says that everyone was gone and Joseph was all alone and the angel shows up. This messenger of God shows up, and when he shows up, he, he, he says to Joseph, get up. I need you to take this woman and her child, and I need you to escape to Egypt. I want to I look at the verbs for a minute. He said, get up. The, the words in itself would indicate that Joseph was obviously laying down. He said that he spoke to him while he was in a dream. Joseph was asleep. He was resting. But the angel spoke up and said, it's time for you to get up. I want to pause there for a moment. God showed up in the midst of the silence, and the first thing that he said was, it's time for you to get up. I believe that there's times in our lives where we find ourselves laying in things that God has told us that it's time to stand up in them. There's there's seasons of our lives where I think that we're reluctant in moving forward because if we move forward, it means that we have to accept where we are. But God, he he showed up and he said, it's time for you to stand up. It's time for you to to get up. I, I know that you've been betrayed. It's time for you to get up. I, I know that they've stabbed you in the back, but it's time for you to get up. I know that you have to pay the child support, but it's time for you to get up. 
I know that you've experienced brokenness, but it's time for you to get up. I know that you didn't get the job, but it's time for you to get up. I believe that God is showing up and he's saying that it's time for you to get up. You don't have to wallow and marinate in the brokenness. I've, I've found in my life that it's hard to focus on the future when I'm marinating in the past. I think about sometimes when um, I look at our DVR. My, my wife and I, we are, we're big fans of recording everything that comes on TV. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy that after I watch a show, I'm reluctant to delete it because just in case I may want to go back and, and, and review it again, I may want to evaluate, check the tape. So I don't delete anything. But my wife, man, she's like a, she's like a DVR Nazi. Once she's done, it's gone. Heartless. She just deletes everything right on the spot. And so I, I remember there was this time when we began to run out of space. And she, she was going through auditing the, the DVR. And she's like, you watch this, you watch this, why is it still on there? I'm like, well, because I may want to go back to it. So don't delete it because I may want to go back. And she said, but we're running out of space. So I need you to delete it so we can move forward. And so I reluctantly agreed to it because the truth of the matter is I had never had any intentions of going back because if I were to delete it, that means that I couldn't go back. Mm. I, I believe that there's times where we're afraid to get up because that means that we can't go back. But I believe what's happening is because we don't get up, we're marinating and we're consuming space that God wants to fill something else with. He said, it's time for us to get up. I've learned that it's hard for us to ever get going if we never get up. I don't know what you're falling into. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your, your brokenness is, but I think that God is telling you that it's time to get up. Just this, a couple months ago, I was leaving um, Publix. I was with my wife. And as we were, as we were leaving the, the grocery store, it's one of those days where you just feel like you just feel extra fly. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I just felt, I felt like everything was good this day. Like it was cool outside. So I was able to, to pull out some of my sweaters. That's kind of rare here in Florida. So I had like my nice sweater on. We went inside. We got some eggnog. I'm walking out. It's a date night with my boo. I got my little, I got my little stroll going on. And as I'm walking out with her, I don't, I don't know what happened. I, 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 I believe that I'm still investigating what happened, but I literally lost consciousness. No kidding. I'm, I'm walking, and as I'm walking, I can, I can feel in my mind, my brain saying, you're about to fall. No reason. I didn't trip. Nothing was in front of me. The ground was completely flat, but as I'm walking, I can legitimately just feel my legs just give out. Like someone shot me with a dart that was filled with narcolepsy. Like, I mean, it was just like, <laughs> bam. And I was like, man, I don't need, and so as I'm thinking to myself, I am going down. I am really falling. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Dude, pick your legs up, catch yourself. Get you. and, and I couldn't do it. Like, I just was going down, it was slow motion. And all I could think was, don't knock your teeth out and don't scuff your sneakers. That was literally it. Don't knock your teeth out and don't scuff your sneakers. So with every ounce of energy I had left as I'm dropping down, I lunged forward just enough so I could catch myself and I made it into a nice little roll hit the ground, I bounced up, but I hit my wife on the back of the leg, so she's walking ahead of me. She looks back and like, what, what happened? I said, come on, keep walking, keep walking, keep on going. And she's like standing still, and I'm like, keep on going. Now this was around Christmas time, in front of Publix, the Salvation Army guy stopped ringing the bell. He's like, you okay? I'm like, shut up and keep ringing your bell, mind your business. Come on, girl, keep on going, keep on going, come on. And she's like, are you okay? I'm not, I don't wanna talk about it, keep going, get, I'm, let's go. We get in the car, and she's just sitting there. And I'm like, drive! You ever think I just robbed the place? Go, go, go! Because people are looking around like, what happened to this dude? I, 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 I fell. I embarrassed myself. But what I made up in my mind, even as I was losing consciousness, I was not going to stay there. It's amazing how if you just make up in your mind, even in the midst of your fall, I may fall, but I am not going to stay here. 
I'm going to get up. I've purposed in my mind that I am not going to stay here. And I'm not sure what you're falling into, but you have to make up in your mind, I am not going to stay here. It's time for you to get up. You see, after, after the angel tells him to get up, the next part of it, it says, is, I need you to take the mother and the child and go into Egypt. Oh, Clay, it's about to get good. It's, a, it's about to get good. I want, y'all, I want y'all to lean in real quick. This is going to be a teaching moment. So Joseph is engaged to Mary, and she gave birth to Jesus. Mary, we're told in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, that she is blessed and highly favored. That's literally the name that's given to her. So Mary literally represents blessings and favor. When you combine blessings and favor, that produces grace. So Joseph is connected to grace. Grace gives birth to salvation. Mm, We're just getting started. Grace gives birth to salvation. Grace gives birth to freedom. Joseph did nothing to produce salvation. He just had to be connected to grace. I don't know if anybody caught that. Joseph wasn't the father of salvation. He just had to make sure he stayed connected to grace. What I believe that means for some of us in here, we're thinking that we have to do something in our own strength in order to produce salvation, in order to produce freedom, in order to produce the breakthrough that God has for us. But all you got to do is continue to function in the grace that God has for you. See, all he had to do was stay connected to, to grace. Interestingly enough, though, he's told to take this person of grace and to take this salvation and to get out. Now, where they were was an environment where the enemy was going to launch an attack. And you would think that Joseph has salvation and he has grace. Why does he need to leave? But what the angel said is that there's people that's coming to try to steal, to kill, and destroy the freedom that's in your life. So it's possible to have freedom and salvation and not flourish. Ooh. It's, it's possible to be in a proximity of freedom and salvation, but not experience flourishment because you're in a toxic environment. And so what God was saying is, I need you to take the freedom that's in your life. I need you to take the grace that's in your life, but I need you to take it to another environment. Because where you are, you will not flourish because there's an enemy that's launching an attack against you. It's possible. It's possible to be a child of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit and still struggle with pornography. It's possible to be a child of God who's filled with the Spirit and still struggle in your marriage. And what God is saying that you may have these things, but you may not flourish. And what he's saying is, are you willing to pick up those things and move into another environment? That may mean moving and being connected to different friends, a different source. That may mean putting an internet blocker on your, on your internet to make sure that you can't access those things. It means creating accountability. What God is saying is you may have salvation, you may have grace in your life, but if you really, really, really want to experience the environment of flourishing, you may have to move into a new environment. If you struggle with alcohol, you have nothing to prove. Don't go to the bar. Don't put yourself in the area of your weakness and expect God's strength. What you need to do is recognize that there are seasons where God is saying you have grace in your life. You absolutely have salvation, but I need you to take it to another environment if you expect to flourish. You see, what the Bible says is that the enemy was going to pursue him to try to snuff out the freedom that was in our lives. And I truly believe that we have an adversary that functions the same way. He's looking at where we are and he's thinking of how can I invade this environment to make it toxic? 
How can I invade this environment to try to snuff away the freedom that this person may be experiencing? And God is saying that, are you willing to take what I've given you and go into a different environment? Connect yourself to a different group of sources. Connect yourself to a community that's going to help you to cultivate what I put inside of you. Joseph was required to take the grace in his life, the salvation that he didn't produce on his own, and go into another environment. I'm going to close with this. He is told to go into Egypt. Now, historically, whenever you look and study Egypt, Egypt is always associated with sin and bondage. The children of Israel were literally in bondage in Egypt. But God said, I need you to pick up all the freedom that you have in your life and go into this environment of bondage. I need you to go into this environment that has historically been associated with the, with the absence of freedom. So it seems as if that would contradict everything that's about God when you're trying to lead us to a place of freedom. But what I believe God was showing us is that you can take your freedom into an environment of bondage and change the entire atmosphere. It's possible for you to take your freedom into an environment of bondage and change the atmosphere, but you have to make sure that you don't bring bondage into your freedom. You see, Acts, the 16th chapter, tells us about Paul and Silas, and they were thrown into prison. These men who are functioning with freedom, but they were thrown into an environment of bondage. But the Bible says that they couldn't be robbed of the praise that was inside of them. And what we learn is that they praised to such an extent that not only did they experience freedom for themselves, but everybody that was in the environment experienced freedom. It's something about when we can worship, even in the midst of places of bondage, how God can use that to set other people free. This is why when the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people, how it can shift an entire atmosphere. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. That means that their adversary, he doesn't ever put his foot on the ground because he would then be in his place, which is under our feet. So he likes to hover over our heads. He likes to hover in a way that distracts us. But when we worship, we're invading the enemy's territory because God inhabits our praise. And wherever God is, the enemy can't coexist. This is why when we come to church, the adversary likes to keep us silent. He likes to keep us from lifting our hands because we're invading his territory with the presence of God. But that's why the radical sub 30 that I know, when we come into the house of God, we continue to worship no matter how we feel because we know that God inhabits the praises of his people and it can change the atmosphere. It can change everything just by simply lifting up a praise. Joseph takes his freedom. He takes the grace in his life, and he goes into an environment that typically is associated with bondage. But watch this. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 19 that at the end of days, that Egypt is counted amongst the locations that has been redeemed. This is, this is good that Egypt is accounted with the nations that have been restored into right fellowship with God. And it's because Joseph took the word of God into a godless environment. And because they had a visitation from Christ, at the end of days, Egypt will too be standing at the throne of grace. That should be encouraging for somebody in here tonight. That lets us know that even though you may have experienced bondage at its most extreme place, that all it takes is a visitation from the Word of God that can change everything in your life in one single moment. The grace of God is, is visiting you. You know, the Bible says that they got up and they traveled at night. I've done many road trips, and traveling at night is not always the easiest. You get tired. You get distracted. It's dark outside. You don't have as much light. 
It's not always easy to travel at night. But the Bible says that Joseph, after he had received these instructions, he got up. He, he didn't debate. He didn't post a question on Facebook to try to get some feedback. He responded to what God said, and he said, it's time for us to get out right now, and we're going to travel even at night. I think the reason why God, first and foremost, likes to speak when Joseph was asleep, because it's amazing what God will say when we can't talk back. Secondly, I believe that there's something to be said about when we travel at night because there's a lot less traffic. There's a lot less feedback. There's a lot of silence. And I believe that God is speaking to some of us right now, and we may feel like we're in the night season of our lives, and we're saying to ourselves, but is God telling me to get out? I believe that the grace is there for you to find the escape because it's right in front of you. I was watching National Geographics the other night. I, I, loved, I love to watch National Geographics. It's, it's, it's fascinating, and I, I particularly love to watch the lions. And when I was watching this particular episode, it was showing how the lions love to hunt. And what they had found is they found this hippopotamus that had gotten out of the water, and he was on the land. It was nighttime. He was, it was nighttime. He was just traveling at night. And so this pack of lions swarmed. Now, a hippo is, is really big. It's hard, to, it's hard to knock him over, and that's obviously the, the, the lion's strategy. He wants to knock him over so he can grab a hold of his throat and, and suffocate him. But the hippo was just trying to find a way to orient himself to get back to his own territory. The lions were confused because even though they were attacking him, his skin was so thick they couldn't penetrate it. But they were still trying. More and more were coming. They were, they were just swarming all around him. And so I'm thinking to myself, this hippo doesn't got a shot. It's, it's over. At this point, it's about six lions climbing all over him. And then there's this window of time, this brief moment, where I believe the hippo saw his window of opportunity. And what he did is he turned around and he bit one of the lions right on the head. Now, what you need to understand is that hippos, they have over 2,000 pounds of pressure in their jaw. They're actually stronger than even alligators. So when he punched down on the lion's head, it literally crushed the lion's skull. And all the other lions were freaked out. They were freaked out. I mean, if they could communicate, I was picking up what they were saying, and it wasn't Christian. They were like, oh. <laughs> they had never seen anything like that. They had never seen anything like that. And in that moment, the hippo had landed a fatal shot. And he could have possibly confused the fact that he was able to land a blow with saying, I need to stand here and continue to fight. But he didn't. He landed the blow because that was his opportunity for him to escape. That was his opportunity to get out. After he let go of the lion, he left and went back into his territory, which was the water. The lions were looking at their hurt brethren. It was like, yo, man, I didn't even see that coming. But the hippo didn't misappropriate the fact that he was able to land a blow and confuse that with a signal that he was meant to fight. The actual freedom was found when he took his window to escape. And I believe what happens with a lot of us as Christians, we have the word of God, we have the truth of God, we have all the, the strength and, and, and all those things that are in us. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And unfortunately, when the fight or flight instinct kicks in, we can, we can misappropriate the fact that we do have authority and power and we end up staying in environments that God is telling us to get out of. Yes, you can have grace and freedom in these toxic environments, but you won't flourish. And God is saying it's time for you to get out. I'm not sure the environment that you're in. And yes, you can do all things through Christ Jesus. And yes, you are more than a conqueror. But I believe that there's somebody in here that God is telling you, it's time for you to get out.
Yes, you can still be saved and, and be with that, that, that person that's an unbeliever. You won't lose your salvation, but you're not going to flourish. It's time for you to get out. Yes, you can continue to, to work at this job that is incredibly unethical and it challenges you every ounce of your being, but it's time for you to get out. I believe God is saying for some of us in here tonight, the path is made clear. There's an enemy that's coming to try to suffocate the freedom that's in your life. And instead of you standing there and trying to fight with every ounce of your being, your next step is just to get out. And I believe that there's a grace in here that's going to give us the, the space to be able to do that. With, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I simply want to ask two simple questions. Maybe, maybe you're in here tonight and, and you would simply say, Keith, there's some areas where I need the, the grace and strength of God to get out. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're, that you're not saved or saved. It simply means that you know that there's some things that you're facing. There's some obstacles that are coming your way. and You just need God's, God's wisdom and his strength to enable you to take that next step, whatever it may be. If that's you, with, with, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for you right where you are. If that's you, on a, on a count of three, could you raise your hand? One, two, and three. Amen. Hands up everywhere. It's just asking for boldness for that next step. You can put those hands down. My second question is for those of you that are in here today. And you would say, Keith, I'm, I'm away from God. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus. Or if I am, I'm, I'm far away from him. And if you were to do inventory of your life, you would know that you're not right with God. We, we don't want you to leave here without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus without saying yes to the grace and the salvation. You don't have to do anything much like Joseph didn't to produce this. All you have to do is partner yourself with grace. If that's you, when you want to say yes to Jesus, to commit, recommit, or just get closer to Jesus, on the count of three, I'm going to ask that you, that you raise your hand. One, two, three. Put them up. Amen. 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 I see those hands. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together for those that are saying yes to Jesus, possibly for the very first time? What I want to ask us to do now is I want to ask us to, to stand on our feet, and I'm going to pray for you. We're going to go back into worship, and then Pastor Tyler is going to come up and give us some instructions. But right where you are, what I want us to do is I, I simply want us to repeat this prayer with me. This is going to be a partnership in the family for those that are paying this prayer possibly for the first time. All of us together, let's say it together. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And because of that, I am saved. Fill me with your spirit and give me the next steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you feel comfortable, lift your hands up. I want to pray for everybody that's in here. And then we're going to go back into worship and we're going to believe that God is going to continue to break the chains and distractions that may be in our life. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your people. God, I thank you that you've given us a get-out strategy, Father, that we don't have to stay in toxic environments and, and try to position ourselves in areas of weakness, Father, but you've given us a get-out. You've given us a community, God. You've given us people that we can be connected to that can help usher us into places of freedom. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for every chain 
to be broken, God, that you give us vision, that you give us wisdom, that you give us a breakthrough, God. I pray for healing in areas of sickness, God. I pray for salvation and environments of loss, God. I pray for breakthrough where there's change, Father. In the name of Jesus, Father, we elevate it above it all, Father, and we worship you and we celebrate that it is finished in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.